I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you for the encouragement that you give to us. And Lord, I pray that this word will be an encouragement to us today, that it will strengthen us today and cause us to stand firm, to endure joyfully, to be filled with a a gratitude that cannot be quenched, a joy in your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Father, I pray that this congregation will be united in that joy. Father, we especially need unity as we are undertaking this building project. Uh, It has tested us over the years, forced us to come and talk together and listen to one another. And now it seems we're on the verge of starting it. We pray that you'll give us wisdom to listen to one another and unity to work together in the direction that you will lead us to go. Oh, Father, we just pray for mercy on this congregation and for a a shared delight in your goodness, a shared commitment to carrying the good news to the ends of the earth from here, to carrying the good news to the South Shore and to our families from here. So we pray that you will bless the work of our hands. Father, we pray for our families. We pray for our loved ones, who many of whom we've seen over this holiday weekend. And Father, we ask that you will work in their lives. We ask that we will be good witnesses in our behavior, in our attitudes, in our words and thoughts. And Father, we pray that we'll be faithful in how we represent Christ before them. And Lord, that you'll be gracious to our loved ones. And draw them to the Savior, those who don't know you. That you'll strengthen them. That you'll strengthen what is weak and what is uh, becoming loose or lazy. That you'll encourage our loved ones in the Lord. So, Father, we pray for our missionaries this week, the Raychards. We pray that you'll strengthen them. We pray for their family who are far from them at this time as they serve on the coast in Tanzania. We Pray for all of our missionaries, our partners around the world, far from home, but uh, we pray that you'll keep them close to your heart, that you'll equip them and strengthen them. Give them all the things that we pray for for ourselves, endurance and faithfulness, hope and joy, and love from loved ones. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The children can be released at Children's Church, which they'll find through this door on the left side of the sanctuary. And uh, their teachers are waiting for them. So the 
letter to the church in Philadelphia. I was talking with a father recently. I was hearing from him. He was so, he's so distraught about his sons. He had uh, lived in this area for some time and then moved to New York and then uh, recently moved back home to, to this area. And uh, during the time of their sojourn in New York, his sons, young as they were, turned to the dark side. They became Yankees fans. <laughs> and uh, now when they moved back here, the, the first day of school, they wanted to wear their Yankees regalia, and he forbade them, but the second day of school, they, they wore it. Um, you know, there's, there's something that, that happens when you, when you get in an environment where what you hold on to, what you treasure, it becomes very hard to keep because everyone else rejects it, and they reject you if you keep to it. And so uh, I think that dynamic is still going to be at work in his son's lives, young as they are now that they're back here. I don't know if they're going to continue uh, faithful Yankees fans. I think many of us face the same kind of, of dynamic as we seek to uh, keep our faith in Christ. We experience rejection from the world around us. And so, in some ways, Christ's people are rejects. Christ keeps rejects, and so we should keep his word. And that, I think, is the, the exhortation, the, the, the word that we get here in the letter to the church in Philadelphia that Christ keeps rejects, so we should keep his word. And so I want us to look first in verses 7 and 8 and see the first way that Christ keeps rejects. He welcomes rejects. Christ welcomes rejects. So listen to verses 7 and 8 once again. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now those who keep his word, who do not deny his name, he welcomes them. And so I believe this image of the open door that Jesus has set before his people is an image of welcome that Christ is holding the door open for his people, that he's made it open for us, the door to the kingdom of God, and that we are welcomed by the Son of God. I realize that sometimes this image of the open door, sometimes it's taken in another way as, as a missionary opportunity, similar to the way Paul talks in, uh, in his letters in 1 Corinthians 16.9, he says that the Lord has opened a great door of effective ministry for me here. And there are many who oppose me. And so he talks about God opening a door for him as being uh, the way that God provides an, an opening for the gospel, an opening for his ministry to go forward. But I think here uh, that doesn't quite fit as well as, as the other alternative, the idea that Christ is welcoming by setting an open door for us into his kingdom. And uh, so some of the reasons I think that, first of all, in verse 7, he talks about the key of David. Jesus holds the key of David. David the king. 
Jesus, the Christ, is the son of David. He is the, the real David who was to come, the real king, the real owner of the key of David. And so if he's using the key of David to open the door, what door is that he's opening but the, the key to the kingdom? Um, actually, these phrases are borrowed out of the book of Isaiah. And I'd like to ask you to turn back there with me and see where these words come from. So if you'll put your finger in Revelation 3 and turn back to Isaiah 22. And we'll see where this language comes of the key of David. Um, So Isaiah 22, if you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 696. And um, Isaiah 22, starting at verse 20, Isaiah is condemning a man who was the steward, the king's steward in Jerusalem, responsible for access in the kingdom. And he's condemning him and he's saying, I'm going to make a replacement. I'm going to give a replacement to take your place. So Isaiah 22, verse 20, In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. He controls access to the kingdom of God. And this is Jesus Christ. He's the one who holds the key of David in Revelation 3. He is the one who controls access to the kingdom of God. So I think that the way that the image of a door opening is being used here is the same as the way Jesus uses it in his teachings in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus talks about doors being opened and closed. Luke 13, uh, 24, he says, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And so the the door being opened, the door being closed, it's access to the kingdom of God. And uh, this is a big issue for the church in Philadelphia, it seems. Because the church in Philadelphia, the Christians in Philadelphia, have enemies. And they're mentioned down in verse 9. And they're called the synagogue of Satan. The, uh, it sounds like a really nasty name, you know, a sort of name calling for, for the, the Jews of the synagogue. But I think the name is significant. In Revelation, Satan's name is traced to its original root in the Hebrew language, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's what the name means in Hebrew, the accuser. And uh, so the Jews are a synagogue of Satan in the sense that they are making an accusation. They're laying an accusation at the foot of the Christians and saying, you don't really have a right to enter into the kingdom of David. You guys aren't really welcome. You guys are shut out and excluded. You're Gentiles or you're half-Jews. You're not the real thing. We're the real thing. And you guys are a bunch of phony baloney. 
you people who just believe in Jesus, the Jesus-only people. And uh, so it really is painful for the church to have those who they had hoped would be allies to be their staunchest critics and enemies. So Jesus says, I have the key and I hold the door open for you. What a, what a wonderful, encouraging welcome that is. Can we just stop for a minute and look at it and just see how wonderful it is that Jesus is holding the door open for us? Um, in, in verse 7, look at his name. The name of the one who holds the door open. He says, these are the words of him who is holy and true. A title given in the book of Revelation to God where he is called uh, Sovereign Lord, Holy and True. How long till you judge the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth? The Sovereign Lord is the Holy and True One. What a great hand opens the door for us. The hand of the Son of God, the divine hand of God's Son. And what a great door he opens for us. The door of the kingdom of God, opened with the key of David. And so uh, he opens that kingdom which God has been preparing from the foundation of the world. That kingdom which was announced through the prophets. That kingdom of which Abraham was an heir and David after him and all the prophets. And now it comes to us. And the Lord Jesus Christ is holding the door open for us. And what a great welcome. He holds the door open and no one can shut it. Though they try... He will make it stay open. He has set it before you and He says no one will close that door. And what a great encouragement it is. Look in verse 9. Revelation 3. I'm sorry, verse 8. Revelation 3, 8. He says, I know your deeds. I've placed before you a door no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. We haven't earned it. It's an unearned welcome, an undeserved welcome, but he holds the door open for rejects. Though we were rejected by God because of our sins, though people despise us because we follow Christ, no matter who rejects us, Jesus Christ stands and holds the door open for us and no one will close it if we hold on to his word. What a wonderful encouraging thing. And then just think, where does the door lead? It leads to God. What is it that moves him to open the door? Grace unsearchable from the very depths of the heart of God. Untraceable. What an amazing welcome that we have. When I took uh, one of my kids to UMass Amherst, uh, we were looking, looking at colleges, looking at schools, all the parents and students who were investigating UMass that day were gathered in one big room. There's a big assembly. And the dean of students stood up and said, write down a phone number. So everybody's you know, grabbing a piece of paper and writing down. We write down the phone number. He says, that's my home telephone number. Call me anytime. If you have a question, if you have a problem, if your son or daughter has a need, call me anytime. And it gets your attention. Access, a, you know, a great person, a big person, you'd never dare call him at home, but 
you know, it's, it's really encouraging that if something big came up, you would do it. It's like these, uh, these advertisements. I am William F. Gavin, Secretary of State of Massachusetts. Call me if you've been a victim of fraud. And uh, boy, it gets your attention. People are wondering why is he doing this to draw attention to himself. But uh, it gets your attention. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm holding the door for you. And boy, let that grab your heart. Let that get your attention. Are you trying to enter? If you keep his word, if you don't deny his name, he's holding the door for you. Do you receive his word? Do you keep it? Do you confess his name? We, we, we should receive the word of one who has done so much for us, done this wonderful thing for us. We should receive it humbly, hungrily, gratefully, and hold on to it. Do you just hear it with your ears and it kind of like water off a duck's back? It kind of just disappears and never seems to have an effect on your heart? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Has he become the most precious thing in your soul? Has his word taken hold of your heart so that you can't let go of him? You've been changed. You've been made new. Have you received Christ? I want to urge you, if you haven't, to start getting serious about the word of God. Do whatever it takes to get the word of God into your heart and to experience that newness that he brings to people. We have a Sunday school class starting in a couple weeks. A lot of Sunday school classes starting next week, but after a couple weeks, uh, this other one will start Simply Christianity. Uh, it's a study of the gospel. Uh, Pete and Linda Long will be leading that. Uh, grab one of those brochures on your way out and, and uh, call Pete and Linda up and tell them you want to you join that class. Or, or get a Bible. Do you have a Bible? We have Bibles out in the foyer, free Bibles. Take one home. Start reading in the Gospel of John. Ask God to show you who Jesus is, to make him known to you. Get a friend to, to study the Bible with and to share your questions and to get serious about finding answers. Uh, join a Bible study. Go, you know, take another step. Tune into a radio program. Hear the Word of God. Let it get into your heart so that you can hold on to it and it will transform you and make you a new person. You'll have something greater than this world can give. Christ welcomes, rejects. What else, what, does he, what else does he do? What does he do next? He welcomes, rejects. Christ guards, rejects. And so that's what we see in verses 9 and 10 that Christ has a people who may be rejected, they may be despised by the world, but he guards them, he protects them, he knows their affairs and he knows their concerns and he watches out for them. Christ guards, rejects. Here verses 9 and 10. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world 
to test those who live on the earth. Two ways that Christ protects his people. First, in verse 9, he makes friends out of their enemies. So these, uh, you know, these Jews who were opposing the Christians and opposing the gospel and slandering them before the authorities, he, uh, he's going to make some of them to come and bow before them and confess and recognize that God has loved them, that Christ has been holding the door open for them, and they're going to change. The shopkeeper saw Khalil coming, and so he quick tried to shut the door again. He was just opening it for the morning, but Khalil was bad news. This is the guy who looted shops, who would burn churches, was trained as a terrorist, and he, he didn't want to face him that day. And Khalil comes and says, No, no, I've got to talk to you. Come back later. Come back. We're not open yet. I've got to talk to you. I want you to forgive me. I've wronged you as a Christian, but I've changed. I've become different. I'm a new person. What? What? Hallelujah. I, I uh, learned about this story that watching the, the, this, these videos that one of our missionaries gave us. You can, you can look these up on, on, on the web morethandreams.org videos of Muslims coming to Christ so Khalil is is one of them and uh, so he he comes and he he, he's he's a Muslim terrorist he's being trained in a terrorist camp and he's assigned to go and write a book that will demolish Christianity and so he's given a Bible he doesn't even want to touch it but he's given a Bible. He's told to go and find the errors in it and then you know, write his book. So he goes and he starts reading the Bible and he meets Jesus. And his life has changed. Jesus is Lord. He takes the enemies of his people and turns them into friends. There's no need for you to treat people like enemies. Jesus turns them around. You know this uh, apologist, Josh McDowell, he's... He's an author. He writes books defending Christianity. When he was an unbeliever, he was the most acid, the most critical, the most, um, you know, the, the worst attacker of the Christians. He would mock and ridicule. And he said, you know, it's the people who are the most vocal in opposition, who, who God is probably working on their hearts. and He's going to bring them around. God turns enemies into friends and he protects his people. The Apostle Paul, you know, God does it. So God advances his kingdom in ways that we would never expect. He doesn't do it by human means, by his own ways. So God guards, Christ guards his people, his rejects, by turning enemies into friends. And then in verse 10, he guards them by keeping them from an hour of trial. He says an hour of trial is coming to test all the people on the earth, all the inhabitants of the, of the world. And uh, I don't know what this hour of trial is that he's speaking about here. It may be, you know, the, the things, this letter to the, uh, to the church at Philadelphia seems to foreshadow some of the things that we encounter in the rest of the book of Revelation. It may be an end time hour of trial, that like the things that we read about at the end of the book of Revelation that come with the coming of Christ, the wrath that's poured out, the final wrath that's poured out. And there don't seem to be any, 
any Christians present. There don't seem to be any believers present during those last plagues. Um, As Jesus says in the parable of the harvest, the parable of the weeds, that an enemy has come and planted weeds in the world. The ones that look like wheat, but they're not real. And so he sends his angels at the end, at the time of the harvest, to go and gather his wheat into his barn, to go and collect his elect from the four winds of the earth, to gather his people to him, and then to go and gather the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And so the wrath, the hour of trial comes at the end when the wicked are judged. It could be that this is what Jesus is saying. Could be there's some hour that's closer by. I'm sorry, I can't, uh, you know, give you the the real referent here. I can't really tell you exactly what Jesus meant. But here's what I do get from the verse. Jesus controls our times. Christ holds his people in his hands. If you enter an hour of trial, it is only because he has said, you will enter that hour. You will enter that experience. And he is able to keep you out. And so he holds our lives in his hands. Trust the Lord. He loves his children and he holds that door open and he will make sure that his people will be able to enter in and will get through. He preserves, he protects, and he saves his people. He is a great Savior. He saves from beginning to end. He saves to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Christ will save you. He will protect you. He will keep you from any trial that is too great for you. Whatever trial comes upon you, there will be a way of escape. And so he protects his people. If Christ is there protecting you, guarding you, guiding the events of history so that you will succeed, so that you will come home safely, then don't give up. How do we apply this? How do we you know, take this and do something with it in our lives? I think that what the book of Revelation is for I think the way that it works in our lives, a big part of it is that it gives us pictures to remember and to, to meditate on when we're discouraged. So just remember that picture of Jesus holding the door open and guiding events, making enemies become friends, holding back the hour of trial, arranging your life so that you will be able to get through that door that he is holding open. People are trying to stop your way, but he won't let them. People are trying to close the door. They don't have a chance. He has set his eye on you and he will bring you home. So just fix, fix that picture in your eye when, when it seems like you, know, you don't count. When it seems like the opinion makers are there and what they say sways everything and everyone turns against you, maybe it's just someone in your family. Just by their presence, just by the things they say, the whole climate changes. And uh, a lot of the things they say perhaps oppose some aspects of God's word. And so you're left very discouraged and challenged and pinched. Jesus is holding the door open for you. 
He turns enemies into friends. Maybe it's the big opinion makers of our society who, who turn you know, large things with a small effort and you feel like a very small leaf blown in the wind with nowhere to rest, nowhere to land. He holds the door for you. He cares for his people. He will protect you. So what next? Christ welcomes, rejects. Christ guards, he protects, rejects. And Christ um, settles, rejects. He settles them in his home. He gives us a permanent and secure and honorable, wonderful, happy home uh, in eternity. So when we finally get through that door and when we're really in the kingdom, really, really in, 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 no more trying to get there, but we've come, it will be a wonderful place. So fix this image in your mind. Here, verse 12. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven. And I will also write on him my new name. So most most of us don't get real excited about having someone come and write on us with a magic marker. Um, I think that the, the writing is part of the metaphor of the pillar. So uh, Jesus will make us pillars in his temple and then there will be an inscription on the pillar. Okay, so you're still not real excited about being turned into a pillar. Um, let's, let's go back and look in First Kings. I want you to get excited about becoming a pillar. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 7. Will you keep your finger in Revelation 3 and turn back to 1 Kings chapter 7 and look in uh, verse 20. It's a description of some great massive pillars which Solomon built to stand in front of the temple. So Solomon had built a wonderful glorious temple as a symbol, as an evidence, as a reminder of God's presence with his people, his loving, glorious, protective presence, blessing his people. And here's this glorious temple uh, to depict that for them. In front of the temple are two massive bronze pillars that Solomon erects. And they're made of so much bronze that no one ever weighed the bronze. Uh, huge cast bronze pillars and then they're they're ornate they're decorated they're beautiful and i especially want you to see the names of the pillars but i will read a little about the decorations too first uh, kings 7 20 it's on page 334 in the pew bible and uh, on the capitals of both pillars above the bowl-shaped part next to the network there were 200 pomegranates in rows all around he erected the pillars at the portico of the temple. The pillar to the south he named Jachin, and the one to the north, Boaz. The capitals on top were in the shape of lilies, and so the work of the pillars was completed. Two massive bronze pillars. Jachin, he establishes. 
God establishes his kingdom. God establishes his temple. God establishes his king on his throne. God establishes his people. Boaz, strength. The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in my temple. The king would stand by these pillars and these pillars would evoke all the memories, all the impressions of God's great strength, God's great promises, God's unfailing establishment of his people and of Israel and of his covenant. You will be a reminder, an eternal reminder of Christ's great strength holding you up amid all the resistance, amid all the opposition, amid all the ways you were rejected and you held fast to his word. You will be a sign, a portent, a byword. You will be a symbol of strength, one who is established in God's kingdom. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Just hold on and you will be honored forever for holding on. Christ will be honored forever for giving you that strength. Weak as you are, he says to the church in Philadelphia, I know you don't have much strength. Just hold on to what you have. Just be faithful. And you'll be a sign of God's strength. What a wonderful reward. We sure get rewarded far beyond what we deserve, far beyond what we earn. And all God's grace is just showered upon us. So hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. The wonderful thing, I think, for the church in Philadelphia is not only that they will be honored in this way as being established, but that they will be secure. You know, the city of Philadelphia was built on a volcanic plain, a place where there are a lot of earthquakes. And actually, historically, the city of Philadelphia was devastated, ruined by earthquakes, had to be rebuilt. Every year, the cracks on the rebuilt walls would lengthen and grow bigger and widen like some of our houses. And, uh, and God promises the, these people in Philadelphia that you're going to have a secure place. You know, many of the people in the city of Philadelphia actually lived outside of the walls because it was just so dangerous in case the whole thing comes crashing down. They always had to leave the city. But he says to them, you will never leave you'll never leave. You're going to be secure. You're going to be at home. You're going to be at peace. No more casting about. No more wondering what's coming next. But peace for the people of God. So be strong and hold on. Yeah, I know sometimes uh, the week is long and Saturday is short and Sunday morning comes so early and you just want to rest. And it's hard to to keep going and to have to come on and pull yourself out of bed and get down to where the people of God are and hear the word of the Lord and worship. Sometimes you just don't feel like it. But keep pressing on. Keep holding on to his word. Don't give up. There's a potential mate and the mate is not a believer. And it's tempting just to give in, to give up, to walk away. Hold on. Persevere. All the cool friends are the ones who have nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with church. You feel like you're rejected if you mention the name of Jesus. Hold on to him. 
You've been in church. Your feelings have been hurt. You've been rejected. You've seen hypocrites in the church. And you want to give up. You want to turn back. Hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. To him who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in my temple. A sign of my strength. Well, I just want us to end looking at verse 11. Will you, will you just look at verse 11 with me? I want you to see that you need to get fired up, to pull yourself together and get ready to run. That you can't just relax your way through the Christian life. You can't just relax your way through this life and enter that door. But you need to run. You need to strive. Look, look what he says in verse 11. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown the crown, you know, the award at the end of the race. He's coming soon. You know, we like to say that the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. I want you to sprint. Don't think that you've got tomorrow to run. You've got to run. You've got to get yourself ready. You've got to pull your life together. You've got to hold on to the word of the Lord. You've got to receive his word. You've got to treasure it. You've got to keep it. Today, you've got to follow the Lord today. Look how he's holding that door open for you. And are you going to dilly-dally? Look at how he's guiding circumstances for you. And are you going to just run off and do other things? Commit yourself to the Lord. Run like there's no tomorrow. And don't stop. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great faithfulness, your awesome, amazing welcome. Thank you that you're still holding that door open. And I pray that everyone here will have begun that journey and we'll be walking with you. Strengthen us to hold on, to keep going, and not to wait until tomorrow to start, but to run with you today. Be with us, we pray, for the sake of your name, that we might be pillars in your temple forever. To the honor of your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of our elders is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Kevin Jameson, will you come? Thank you.